I'm gonna smash in an intro, then we're gonna just get it, get it. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm pulling the ripcord on this one, Patch. I'm oh, can going. I do the intro? You always do the intro. Well, that's because that's because you asked me to bring the energy. I bring the energy, but yes, fire in. Do the intro. Yay! Oh, hey, you made it. We weren't sure anyone was able to get the broadcast. We found this huge vault full of cool things from before the event. Yeah, do you want to come check it out? Uh, welcome to Don't Go Outside, everybody, your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse. This is your vault dweller, vampire gentleman extraordinaire, uh, Patch, and I'm here with uh, Robin, the the cannibalistic vault-dwelling, man-meat-eating, son-of-a-gun, that is my vault partner and uh, fellow survivor in the post-apocalypse. It's Robin. Well, hello there, and... I mean, I don't think the cannibalistic thing is worth mentioning, really. I mean, look, everyone's a cannibal in the post-apocalypse. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I don't think it bodes saying. Now, your vampirism is a, is a recent development to both myself and the listeners, so perhaps we could explore that a bit more. How, how is that going for you? I mean, this is, this is probably about six months of vampirism at this point. Yeah, um, it's, it's okay. Uh, just it, the, the novelty is worn off, uh, I guess you could say. Like, at first it was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm a vampire, I can do all this, I can fly, I can turn invisible, I can turn into mist or a bat or a, you know, a wolf, whatever. But after a while you're just like, oh, I could really just go for, like, cheese on toast. You miss, you miss the, the simple things, you know? Mm. Uh, yeah, drinking I mean... blood is difficult to, the more the morality of drinking blood, uh, trying to get that sustainably is uh, mm-hmm. kind of difficult if you're trying to make friends, forge alliances, you know, in the in the wasteland. It becomes quite difficult if you're like, well, you know, I'm actually a vampire. Um, that's why I asked for this meeting, <laughs> a meeting in, at, at, at midnight. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're if you're cool with a bit of drinking blood, that would be uh, that would be cool because that's that's kind of how I how I remain alive. Uh, what do you so what difficult. do you do if you're if uh, no no come upon an evening I I, I realize you, do, you you don't you sleep during the day but I can imagine on an evening you got a you got a long shift ahead of you you're doing doing your vampire stuff and you get a bit sleepy and this is when I would take a caffeinated <clears throat> beverage but as as a vampire what do you do I imagine I mean in my head you would like camp outside the twenty four hour Fanny Beast's diner and then perhaps pounce on an over-caffeinated patron is that is that how it works uh pretty much exactly yeah mm. <laughs> that's, that's exactly mm. it um yeah the promise of eternal life was quite cool though because it just means uh if i so desire like i don't there like i said last time there's no real impetus for me to earn a living because i'm gonna uh, yeah. live forever so i can just stay inside and play video games all day if i want um, so, so you were you were converted by the great Lord Pazuzu, who's uh, who's become quite an influential figure in the in the wasteland. I believe he's I believe he's uh, now doing some crossovers with Beefsteak uh, at his vineyards. Yes, uh, Warlord Beefsteak, famously of Beefsteak Brew uh, Brewery, is uh, wanted to branch out into wines, uh, but. Uh, he's he's not quite cut out for that. So Pazuzu, uh, having uh, almost three thousand years of experience in the winemaking business, 
has decided to take Warlord Beefsteak snack for marketing and pair it with a 3,000 year old vintage of, uh, of vampire brand wines. So just look forward to that. Sponsor, guys. Um, it is. Uh, Pazuzu brings um, New World varieties from South Africa. Um, and so it'll be very exciting to see how he integrates into a future wine box, subs- uh, future wine box subscription. And I imagine, I imagine with our connections through Beefsteak, Pazuzu would be more than happy to sponsor the podcast. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, so today, listeners, we are going to be talking about a few things. I'm sure Patch has quite a number of topics up his sleeve, but our main things today are Totally Accurate Battle Simulator and Midnight Gospel. Um, anything else to add to that, Patch? Yeah, uh, well, I want to talk to you about Giri Haji, because I watched Whoa! it and finally, finally did some follow-up. We're always talking about things we may talk about, but I can follow up on two things today. Uh, Giri Haji and The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, there's some other things sprinkled in between there, but those are the, those are the two main things I wanted to cover with you. So, uh, do you want to jump in? Do you want to have a little chat about Giri Haji? Because, um... That's a show. Right. Well, as you may or may not have listened to the last podcast, Giri Haji is a um, half Japanese, half British produced Netflix show. Um, BBC, is, I believe. Is it BBC? BBC. I yeah. keep saying net- Netflix instead of BBC, but BBC produced. Um, and it's, it has detective elements and it, it's just got a very interesting narrative flow. Um, but Pat, you're the one that recently watched it. Take it away. Yeah, I've not watched it all. I think I've only watched the first three episodes. Um, but yeah, as Robin said, it's a good detective story. I love me a detective story. Uh, so uh, and the and I was really intrigued by the uh, by the notion of a collaboration between a Japanese production studio and the BBC, um, and uh, that kind of theming crosses over in the story of the show uh, grizzled Japanese uh, police detective has to come over to London to find his long lost brother and prevent him from getting potentially murdered by the Yakuza um, which I thought was I think is a really interesting premise for a show he's, he's a fish out of water in the London criminal underworld he meets a lot of interesting characters who help him out along the way um, and yeah I think it's a pretty good idea for a show i like the way it's directed i like the flashbacks you know with him and his brother in his previous life in japan and how that's kind of shaping the narrative of the present day story in in london um and it kind of really goes to show the kind of a lot of a lot of um uk-based police shows are set in the big city and it's a it's a thing we're all familiar with if you're from the UK like big English uh, industrial towns and it has a really good makes a really good point of making those cities feel very foreign um like it it's almost like a view of London that you've never seen before and that really puts across the fish out of water element that I mentioned earlier I'm glad you you picked up on that because that's something that I really enjoyed, and I think that that was only possible because of this collaboration between a the BBC and a Japanese studio. Is the fact that so often we see media where it's white dude goes to Japan, lol, random. Look at how Japan, look at how crazy Japan is. Even though it's you know it's just a country 
like any other country. <laughs> yeah. um, and this uh, this highlights how almost preposterous that is by taking grizzled Japanese guy who comes over to London and he's like, kind of, oh, lol, everything in London's a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> and it's kind <laughs> yeah. of like, it's, it's a bit more turned on its head, which I like, I enjoy that. And also I enjoy that it pulls in different directorial styles. So there is that sort of like, there is that classic, you know, grizzled um, detective UK detective well, stuff. Well, it's almost that, it's I mean, almost Luther, like in its, yeah, in its direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also pulls in like some some just weird, just sort of like um, weird aspects. Um, like the the one the one scene. There, there's an episode where they all go on holiday to the beach just for a day, and it's so <laughs> it's so tonally strange. But I love it, and I think this must have been. To do with uh, maybe some some conflict or some interaction between the two studios, and this is what pr- was produced, and I love it. I think it's beautiful. I seem to remember hearing a uh, running, like I think there's like a running theme. Uh, one of the podcasts I listen to talk about how any, every anime needs to have a hot springs episode, and I <laughs> and like that's like a running joke whenever they talk about anime. And my knowledge of anime isn't great but i wonder if that's sort of like oh yeah we gotta have a hot springs episode even though this is a live action production that just made me think of that i've not i've yet to get to the beach episode but yeah i like the idea that oh we gotta have our hot springs episode you'll you'll see as you get to the sort of end of the towards the end it gets a bit more a bit more wacky and a bit more free form um, okay. from that from that traditional gruff detective uh, Luther, bloody all of those those great British detectives that are all the same character <laughs> in various <laughs> stages of alcoholism. Yeah, um, um, yeah, I like it. I like the sort of film noir element of it. Um, mm-hmm. It was a wee while ago I started watching it, and I've I I, I intend to go back to it. Uh, but yeah, I like I like the sort of like noir ish elements to it, like the like instead of like a femme fatale, he's got like his. His uh, half Japanese, half English, like rent boy, that kind of do- oh. fills the femme fatale role, and he's really he's good. I like his so character, but, but I just thought if this was in the fifties, he'd be like a, he'd be like a, a five foot, uh, five foot tall, smoking hot blonde. But because it's like gritty London, he's just he's like a rent boy that lives in a bedsit. Uh, I was like, that's I, an interesting. I actually- take. I think that actor is wonderful and I'm just excited to... I, I kind of hope that this is his breakthrough piece and he's going to get more roles because he's fabulous. Yeah, I've seen him in stuff before, I'm sure. I just can't put my I, finger on where. Well, um, Giri Haji, fantastic. I don't have any follow-up whatsoever, but I do have a couple of subtopics that I would like to touch on before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, which we, again, have a lot to talk about now. Yeah, 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 yeah. John Wick 3, have you seen it? I have seen none of the John Wicks. Um, I do intend to watch them at some point, uh, but just haven't got around to it yet. I've been kind of waiting for the first one to appear on Netflix, but they only ever seem to have the second and the third one, which is like infuriating uh, for me because I want because as soon as John John Wick comes on Netflix, John Wick the first, I'm gonna watch it, but I want to watch them, you know, in order. Well, let me let me just. I won't spoil anything. Don't you worry, and don't you worry, listeners. You can watch it too. Now, um, the John Wick series is just. I mean, it, we talked about it a bit when we talked about Extraction, 
Um, oh, yeah. John Wick. John Wick really took this like the raid intense sort of one shot action and just amped it up um, and made it super stylistic. It's about like underworld hitmen and stuff and like a secret society. And the first one was kind of like it almost felt like a one shot. But then they made the second one and they amped up the silliness and they amped up the action. And now they've made the third one and they've just they've just went full into this is ridiculous. Let's just make it more ridiculous. Seeing that after Extraction still being quite fresh in my memory, it's just it shows how much better it is than Extraction. Um, <laughs> so so uh, John Wick is um, it is directed by Chad Stileski. Um, who was a stunt stunt direct uh, stuntman? In the, he was a stuntman for The Crow, famously doubled for ban- Brandon Lee after his after he died. Right. Did work on Buffy. Did work on The Matrix. And I only found this out while while doing a bit of notes for the show today. But it just makes so much sense that a stuntman directed this because it's directed from a stuntman's point of view, isn't it? Um, yeah. Well, that's kind of the the thing that I've heard most about is that uh, Keanu Reeves produced the film uh, as a way to kind of give like a lot of the stunt people he's worked with like you know pay and work at a time where they were all kind of out of work he was like listen if you want to make a film I'll produce it and uh, it'll be like a stunt spectacular and it seems to have paid off um, I think so and just 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 to put a pin in how he like how, how he wants to support stunt actors you know the baddie from the raid uh yeah can't remember the actor's name but he's in it as well and i was just like yes yes more of this guy he's amazing um well not the big baddie the henchman the the big henchman anyway um so that was fabulous enjoyed my time with it would highly recommend also the crow was back in 1994 that film that film is it's legendary you need to watch it again i've Um, never seen it oh mate watch the crow to listeners, watch The Crow. It's brilliant. So um, <laughs> Look out for what, next week's follow-up, The Crow. <laughs> what other topics have you got? Um, well, speaking of follow-up, I just we mentioned Cyberpunk 2077 uh, last episode, uh, and I just wanted to put our little Cyberpunk 2077 update. It's been delayed <laughs> to November. I, I didn't think you were going to do it, but you did it. I love it. <laughs> Just to say, it's been delayed to November, everyone. So uh, just uh, temp- just temper your expectations. You know, don't get too excited for September because it's uh, go it's, it's pushed back to Christmas time. Um, and uh, there was a kind of a press event where a lot of journalists got to play it for four hours, and a lot of new news is coming out about it. And people are coming out saying they're really annoyed that it's that it's just a video game. You know, and not, in fact, uh, The Matrix in real life, which is what everyone had built their <laughs> expectations up to be. Um, I'm hearing a lot of stupid complaints. Well, one of the things Project CD Red cut out was, like, to fast travel, you could just go on the subway, and uh, people expected that you would have to, like, you know, walk to the subway, pay your ticket, sit on the subway, and just go there, which isn't fast travel at all. You know, like you just go on the subway and it just cuts to you being there, and people are like, oh, but I wanted to like ride the cyberpunk subway, and it's like, what? That's kind of just travel. Yeah, it's not <laughs> fast travel, and things like changing your costume, where you'd have to like open your wardrobe and like pick an outfit. It's like that's been Christ. taken out 
you know, for for you know uh, brevity's sake, which is fine. I'm fine with that. But people are getting a bit like, oh, this might not be you know the virtual reality spectacular I expected it to be. And it's like, well, listen, if you if you don't hear anything about a game for six or seven years, then your expectations are going to fucking skyrocket. And when it kind of like so, anything that comes out is going to inevitably be disappointing. I think. Um, but I'm still excited for the game. It looks cool, man. Um, in fact, I want to give the so the the tabletop uh, RPG that is based off uh, Cyberpunk. I, I definitely want to give a give a bash because that sounds really fun. Um, but yeah, just a little Cyberpunk update. Just thought I'd chuck that in there. I'm glad, um, and and you know, I'm glad we can keep everyone up to date, and I'm glad that you're here, Patch, to check everyone's hype. <laughs> because I, I actually I, that that started off as a joke, but now I'm actually processing it. I'm like, you know what? People probably do need their hype checked quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the hype check one two <laughs> hype check. <laughs> um, something that has uh, just 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 keep this subtopic train a rolling. Um, something that indeed was not hyped whatsoever and just dropped into my sphere of knowledge was the Papers, Please short film, which I knew nothing about. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Is that the one where... Yeah, you, 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 you go. yeah a 2018 film by Nikita Ordunsky. Um, ten minutes long, near-perfect reviews. And what I think is amazing about it is... It takes the things about the game that stopped you from thinking about the themes the game was touching on without taking away... Hold on. Let's reform that <laughs> sentence. Let's just, let's Come on, just, you can let's do just it. pull that back, rewind, put the energy back in, apply the processing chip, use your verbals, use your articulation, pull them out of the lexicon. Have use, a sip of chamomile. Come on. Have a, have a little, little sippy. There we go. <laughs> um, yes, so um, it manages to remove that barrier that you have between the game and the theme. Now, Papers, Please does that really well. does it really well with mechanics, but some people have had that experience where they just get so wrapped up in playing the game, they forget about the themes. Whereas the film managed to almost gamify a film, but because mm-hmm. you're, because you're on rails... You have to be experiencing the theme the whole time. It's just, I would say, it's the best example of an adaptation of a game I've ever seen. Hands down, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I've seen a Papers, Please short film. And if it's the one, if it's the same one you're talking about, it was really good. But it was ages ago that I watched it. Um, But yeah, I love little YouTube short films. Like, just Mm -hmm. little 10-minute pieces of entertainment that just... It's basically a filmmaker being like, pay attention to me, I exist, I have loads of talent. And everyone's like, yeah, you do have loads of talent. Good on you. Good like, job. <laughs> like the guy who's making the Warhammer 40k movie just entirely by himself. Um, <laughs> there's a YouTube channel called Astartes, and it's like just this uh, CGI animator who's made like a 15 minute Warhammer movie, and it's fucking fantastic. Um, really? Yeah, like anyone who knows about it is like, oh my god, you need to watch Astartes. Uh, so a little shout out to that um, a little, you know fucking shout out to like just YouTube filmmakers just good on you boys you're, you're keeping YouTube keeping YouTube what it was meant to be you know <laughs> right on um, I think that 
And it does seem like that perhaps it's just because I'm seeing it more, but there does seem to be more of this super high quality 10 to 15 minute short film um, if short film experiences uh, that are up now. And to be honest, it is almost like games for me. Um, as I've turned away from triple A's, I'm tur- mm-hmm. I've turned more towards these short narrative intense experiences that are focused on maybe one or two things and you know what as i'm seem to be turning away from big triple a films i guess i'm turning towards these 10 to 15 minute short experiences on youtube because i watched a couple of them and i watched uh neighbors across the street the window across the street which is it it won an oscar i believe oh wow Um, yeah yeah lots of them but we can't go into all of them today we're gonna need to keep up the momentum We'll have we'll have a we'll have a YouTube movie recommendation once per episode from now on. That is a don't go outside promise. You can take that to the bank. Next episode, I'm going to mention another YouTube short film, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be glorious. Going to be fantastic. Uh, while we're doing shout outs, could I just put a fucking shout out to Spaced? By the way, Spaced as in the 1996. No, the 1999-2000 two-series television show Spaced, which I recently rewatched because it's on Netflix, and holy shit, that stands the test of time. That is a good-ass show. (laughs) It's fabulous, isn't it? It's so well-made. Mm-hmm. Really good. Uh, Just wanted to give it a wee shout-out because I've not got anything new to say on the matter. I just... uh, It was a little nostalgia burst for me because I remember kind of watching it. Not when it came out. I was a bit young, but I got the DVD when I went to university... And that is just a very neat little encapsulation of just life in your 20s. Just, and it, like, as I say, timeless. Um, now, do you remember that everything in, in those days, in the, in the sands of time when there was cartridge game systems and floppy disks, do you remember that every competition for uh, a, a child, a teenager, or a young adult was for a lifetime supply of something. It wasn't a monetary prize. <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't like a thing. It was a lifetime supply of Vimto or something. Um, so, yeah, I remember so, lifetime supplies, yeah. What is I that? Could, we could do with some lifetime supplies down in the vault. <laughs> you know, we bloody to do. be very honest. Lifetime um, supply of anything would be great. A Penicillin, supply. I think, is important. <laughs> Lifetime supply of penicillin in the post-apocalypse would be fantastic. Um, but my question is, what 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 does that actually mean? I mean, do, are companies still upholding this? Someone who got that when they they were eight, at my I mean, are they still getting it twenty years later? They're still getting their I don't know, like ten ten cans of Iron Brew per month. Is this? That's is an this... interesting thought, actually. Um, there must be some. There must be. A BuzzFeed article of like, I was the winner of a lifetime supply of Cocoa Pops in 1995 and... Now I've got diabetes. <laughs> like, maybe, what if they just got like, you know, like, I, I wonder if it was like a, like a supermarket pallet's worth of it. And once, <laughs> yeah. once it's gone, it's gone, you know? I imagine there's some kind of limiting factor on it like that. What I would like to see, actually, because um, that's the boring answer, but what I'd like to see is it's... You know how there's the lottery curse? 
Oh, right, so like you think all your friends and family are coming out of the woodworks whenever they want a bowl of Cocoa Pops? Yeah, I mean, there's a, this is a whole recorded phenomenon, and like people in America specifically who have who've won the lottery, actually globally, their lives get substantially worse. So what I'm imagining is like, is there is there some kind of lifetime supply curse that yeah, once everyone's like, give me your cocoa pops, and then then he's like, oh, I, I had my whole life in front of me, and then I just couldn't stop eating these cocoa pops. I started thinking I was I was this monkey, and I was being chased by an alligator. I kept trying to turn liquids into chocolate. Um, <laughs> so the milk became too chocolatey. <laughs> Um, and I think that would be a, be funny to hear, that they had to stop doing them because they were cursing too many children. Oh, just having a little vampire stretch. Uh, I watched What We Do in the Shadows Season 2. Oh, yeah. Continues to be good. Uh, the formula is still working. They're just really just building upon the vampire lore. Much like how the lore of our podcast is Every Apocalypse Happened... They're just like, yeah, everything you've heard about vampires is true. Like, there's, um, there's like Babadooks in there. Um, yeah, it's, it's fucking crazy. But like, every type of vampire exists in that lore, which is cool. And every pop culture vampire exists, which, uh, which I think is great. It's a really good show. Um, there's a whole episode that deals with one of the vampires has to basically leave and pick up a new life, and. In Texas or some something like he opens a bar and like lives among the humans and becomes really good friends with them, but then has to leave and he's really heartbroken about it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I really like, honestly, if you've not watched what we do in the shadows, like the TV show yet, it's a, it's all on BBC iPlayer and I recommend it. It's 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 a good time, man. It's really helping me feel better about my current situation. Well, I imagine there is a level of catharsis watching your own kind, and obviously because every apocalypse happened to us, I imagine we have those vampires in our universe somewhere um, yeah not quite, well, what, was, not what, what was the uh, film you talked about a couple episodes ago about the vampire apocalypse where everyone's just vampires now oh um I can't uh, day, no it wasn't Daywatch it was uh, night, uh, Daywalkers Daywalkers so that happened, I guess. So I guess <laughs> to an extent, a vampire I think it happened, and, and not a vampire. I don't know. Look, the lore of our the, the deep lore of the Don't Go Out podcast is. I mean, it's it, it's multi-dimensional. I mean, we probably should have some kind of like cataclysmic Marvel DC esque event that collapses our universe down a little bit. <laughs> so they really need a hard idea. reset. Yeah, we need a hard reset. Speaking of hard resets, let's keep the energy up. Let's get on to our main topic of the week or one of the two and let's kick off with totally wait, 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 Robin, Robin, shut up everyone's talking about the last of us two and i have something to say as well i thought we could i thought we could get past without talking about it oh god no this is my time to talk about it i'm coming in like a drunk like a like a like a drunk white girl at a party i have something to say so shut up i want to talk about the last of us two this is my song Okay, um, t- take it away, Patch, and I bet you're—I bet you're going to say something completely novel that no one on the internet said before. <laughs> well, no, I just want to touch on it briefly because I did say last episode that I was looking forward to playing it, so I just wanted to follow up because, like, literally everything that can be said about the Last of Us Part Two has been said at the time we are recording, which is almost a month since the game's been released. Um, but I just want to say I enjoyed it very much. It's a bit too long, and I can't really fault it other than that. The storytelling is fantastic. 
The world looks amazing. The gameplay from the first game has had some polish. Overall, it's fantastic. I would recommend it. But it is not at all worth the amount of crunch that went into the development of it. I.e. people being hospitalised purely from overwork just to get the E3 demo out on time. Like, I kind of felt a bit gross at how much I enjoyed the show. Enjoyed the show, enjoyed the game. Like, as I was playing it. Saying that the game went on too long, like, as I was sitting thinking, like, come on, when are the credits going to show up? I had a moment where I was like, fucking hell, people went to hospital just so I could feel this impatient. (laughs) They wanted the game to be over. And I was like, this is a bit gross. So I just wanted to talk about, like, you know, game crunch because a lot of that is going on for um, cyberpunk as well like people just putting their mental health at risk just to finish a game on time I just like sure I enjoyed the hell out of the game I thought it was great but like is it really worth like it's not at all worth the uh, the the people you know ending up in hospital over it you know it's almost like if you apply neoliberal capitalism to an art form, you're going to end up with some psychotic models. And uh, gaming crunch culture is just one of those. I mean, you see this in everything, man. The point is that if you're going to try and monetize something that shouldn't shouldn't really be purely about money and is artful in some way, there's going to be exploitation along the chain. And to be honest, there's exploitation along the chain in every produced good. It's just that this has made it very apparent in the form of how developers have to crunch. I'm glad that it's come to light. I'm glad that people yeah. are seeing it. Will well, it think... change? Probably not, because people are going to keep buying games from shitty companies. Well, that's the thing, like, because like there is there is the argument of voting with your wallet, but obviously everyone was very excited for The Last of Us, including myself, and I bought it because I wanted to play it because it looked really good. But I just felt kind of gross for doing so. It's a very... I don't know. I don't want to say it's a grey topic. I want crunch to end. And there is talk of labour laws, you know, coming in to maybe ease the the amount of crunch that goes into the game. Into, into new video games, which would be great. Um, but, you know, it's just a bit, it's just a bit messed up, man. Um... I kind of want to talk about that because everyone is talking about the fucking backlash and people getting sent death threats and stuff, which is fucking horrible, uh, which is a whole other topic. But no one seems to be focusing on the amount of heartache and sweat and blood and tears that went into actually making the game. All that's mm-hmm. been kind of covered up by, oh, wait, no, let's all just hate everyone. You know, it's like, no, let's let's just, you know, just uh, in an episode of shout-outs, let's just give a shout-out to the people that hurt themselves just so uh, we could be angry about The Last of Us Part 2 you know and I suppose that's absolutely worthwhile and these people do I mean there are a lot pretty much in any triple A game people have gone through this so recognising their effort and recognising the fact that they went through hell basically to bring you a game um, I mean it's no surprise for me to say Mm. and for most people to say that game consumers can be a little bit petulant and I think that sure. a lot of us should just take a step back and remember that there are humans behind the keyboards that wrote that code they worked hard absolutely I agree uh, so you know well done to the people behind Naughty well done to the people behind The Last <laughs> of Us 2 not so well done to Naughty Dog Neil Druckmann has uh, the guy you know the creative director behind it he's 
kind of come out as a bit as a bit of a entitled prick since all the backlash because he's like because someone because someone said that like the last of us 2 is the schindler's list of video games and everyone was a bit like whoa 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 come on now <laughs> there's video games are very different to film you can't really compare the last of us to a game about murdering people to schindler's list and then Neil Druckmann came out and I was like, "Yeah, but I want to be compared to Schindler's List, though." I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there because we're wading into the weeds of video game drama somewhere where I don't like being. I don't like the video games drama swamp, which is outside the vault. Mm-hmm. Is definitely outside the vault, and it's not somewhere I like to go. So, you know, what, Robin, um, you've never you've never stated that before, but I'm very happy for that to be our stance. <laughs> because uh, I'm I'm just as happy to talk about it as I am to just leave it out of the, the podcast so if you want to leave it out let's fucking leave it out man because there's enough people uh, there's enough people stirring that shit so cool alright look nice man one. people love to talk about video game drama they love to talk about look talk about the real things talk about the development talk about the human suffering rock and roll I don't want to ca- I don't care about someone tweeting about fucking Schindler's List you know <laughs> like, yeah no to- that's totally fair enough I understand and uh, so yeah no I, I'm leave happy out with the that podcast being... doesn't come in the vault Segway Mutant doesn't want it he won't charge them rent he will charge them rent too much <laughs> rent he'll gentrify I don't know what I'm talking about here but basically keep that shit out my vault you know what Robin I agree and I'm happy for that to be our official stance on the podcast that is a don't go that's another don't go outside promise that you can take to the bank there you go. And you know what you don't need to take to the bank? Do you ever find yourself at the end of the month a little thirsty for a tasty beefsteak brew? Not anymore. I'm a vampire. <laughs> Stop putting off the consumers, Patch. <laughs> Patch and I, with the Don't Go Outside podcast, have partnered again with Warlord Beefsteak, long-term friend of the show, with his new project, Brook Crate which will bring you 24 cans of fine beefsteak brew to your door at the end of the week, every single week. Sign up now with 30 don't-go-outside beer boxes to get 30% discount on your first order. I like that. I, I like that. That's good. I'm glad we're getting sponsored by Beefsteak Brew. I consider him a good friend of the show. Um, well done. Uh, I just I think we're going to have to get just a little bit more... Um, uh, vampiric uh, representation on the show. Uh, I'm just feeling like uh, it would be uh, it would be good to have some sponsors that benefit me. But uh, you know, as I said earlier, well, I don't really need it because I'm gonna live forever. So drink as much beefsteak brew as you want. <laughs> Do you want me to see if I can find anything? Hang Absolutely on. not. Do not give Life me any information. <laughs> supply of. Uh, Chocolate competition winner. Uh, hang on, Reddit just came up. I bet it doesn't ask me anything. People who have ever won a lifetime supply of. Uh, do, you want a, do you want an answer to this? I'm gonna guess it's the palette answer, but please do go ahead. Uh, let me see. I won a lifetime supply of Mars bars when I was 15. I get a box of 30 delivered every month. For the first six months, it was awesome. Never had to buy chocolate. Had plenty to share with my friends. After a year, it was hard to even give them away as everyone was sick of Mars bars. 
Now every three months or so I deliver 75 or so to my local food bank. I'm currently living in Thailand. I dread to think how many Mars bars I'm going to go home to. <laughs> so that's a so, real life so, story from six years ago. So I guess they've kept it up then. That's incredible. I wouldn't yeah, have... Well, I suppose if you're a large... If you're a big... If you're a massive uh, confectionery company like Mars... Like, I suppose you're not really losing out on anything by sending 30 a month. Yeah, and I imagine there's a calculation somewhere that says, um, if we close, if we shut this off prematurely, the bad press that that could cause is way more damaging than just continuing to ship out these Mars bars. Hmm. Because I imagine um, this, yeah, imagine the stink that would get c- kicked up if this guy's like, yeah, they kept this up, and then suddenly they were like, yeah, we're no longer giving you a lifetime supply. How about that? Imagine the Daily Mirror article. <laughs> Where's my fucking Mars bro? <laughs> <laughs> I now need to, I now need to eat them to survive. It's, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, if, if there's like an elderly person who's been drinking and smoking their entire life, and their doctor's like, listen. Don't stop drinking and smoking because the cumulative hangover will <laughs> actually kill you. It's like, if you stop eating Mars bars now, that's it, mate. The, di- the diabetic coma you'll go into will probably kill you. It'll never end. <laughs> totally, a- totally accurate back... Ba- da. Totally accurate battle simulator. What? What a game. <laughs> what a game. I loved it, Patch. I loved it. Explain to the people what this game is. Totally Accurate Battle Simulator is a basically just ragdoll physics engine. What I like to think is a very dumbed-down version of uh, the Total War series, but that's not saying anything against, against the game. It's just build an army of ridiculous soldiers and just throw literally throw them against each other like ragdolls and just see who wins. It's great. It's just a little fun... Uh, I think the kind of game that Robin's really enjoying at the moment, which is just like half an hour of fun time, um, where you can just put like little clay people, uh, pit them against each other in battle with uh, guns or swords or axes or magic spells. It's good. It's good fun. It's just it's basically just putting numbers together and seeing what happens. I I absolutely loved this game, and the the great tragedy of this is uh, I could only run it for about half an hour before I, I I literally lost my mind at the low frame rate I was getting because it's quite poorly optimized for my uh, my my Apple computer. Um, but that's that's okay. That's what one has to accept while playing games on a Mac. That's true. Now, and you do aside- say Apple computer as if you have an old. Apple Mac from the 1990s but you have like a fairly top of the range uh, Mac uh, like laptop uh, am I right in saying that? So uh, That's correct but I still like saying Apple Computer because I believe they're still called the Apple Computer Company or Apple Computer Limited, mm. something along those lines Anyway um, regardless of my half an hour playtime I loved it, and I loved every second of that half hour, man. I had more fun in this half hour than I have in hours of other games. Um, yeah, it was really good fun, eh? Um, and you know what it reminded me of? Did you ever play Age of Empires or Age of Empires 2, or maybe Age of Empires 3, Rise of Kings? When I've you played were... it all, mate. I've played it all. Ah. Did you ever make custom maps in those games? Um, I don't think so. Right. Now, I loved... and. I... I'm almost certain some of our listeners will have had the same experience 
building a big old empty custom map, largest grid, and then just putting in loads of red units to be the enemy, loads of blue units, and then go and fight and seeing who would win. I basically was playing Totally Accurate Battle Simulator back in the day, and I imagine this is one of the influences they had. It must have been, because it was the same sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's absolutely kind of the, the philosophy behind it. It's just, like, make as big an army as possible if you want and just, like, see how quickly they can annihilate each other. Um, <laughs> to the point where, like, it does slow down my computer at times as well because you just get curious to be like, you know, what would, like, 300 halflings be <laughs> against this man? <laughs> and, you d- and your computer just slowly chugs trying to figure out <laughs> the algorithm <laughs> to see who would win. Uh, but it's really good. And, like... The I really like the visual style as well. Like it is just it's like morph style, like clay people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've all bit, but they they all have their different like uh, costumes. Like some have uh, medieval costumes. Some are dressed like ninjas. You've got uh, people like you've got like cowboys and um, ancient Greek gods as well. They're all kind of just simple rag dolls dressed in different themes. And uh, there's, like, challenge levels where you have to, like... You only get to use one type of army, like the Hobbit army, uh, which is, like, you know, halflings and farmers and scarecrows and stuff versus, like, ninjas and samurai. And you have to try and... You you have to try and use your units wisely to defeat a more technically advanced army. And getting that right through trial and error is just a really fun process because... When you fail, like it's still hilarious just watching people flop about and getting spun into the air. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it's quite frustrating when they just kind of don't do what you want, but also yeah. it's it's so chaotic and hilarious that you don't mind that much. Mm. Really good game for screenshots as well. Like I'm constantly just taking screenshots <laughs> yes. all the time. Um, so yeah, look out for the thumbnail of this episode being one of my <laughs> t- totally accurate <laughs> battle simulator screenshots. Um, I also completely agree with it has a really strong and unique um, aesthetic style and it's one I've not really seen before you know how like you see trends towards aesthetic styles and this like sort of goofy like um, yeah morph aesthetic I I think it's brilliant really Mm. really enjoy well it's like because he could have really easily went for like um, the jank European art style that um uh, was it Goat Simulator went for where it's just yeah, like yeah, yeah. where it's just like here's like just a jank European studio just using ragdoll physics and like just copy pasted assets to mm-hmm. deliberately look shitty where this deliberately looks shitty but like in a charming cartoonish sort of way I wouldn't say it deliberately looks shitty it deliberately looks janky mm. but I think it looks quite good in that it's like it appreciates the jank yeah know? yeah that's it's like that's a re- what I meant. it's like yeah. a refined jank mm-hmm. a, fi- a fine refined jank yeah it's a distilled triple distilled jank <laughs> <laughs> no that sounds like a beefsteak brew if i've ever heard of <laughs> um uh, yeah so this was going to be our topic of the week um but like as robin said he could hardly replay really any of it uh which is totally fair uh, that's just what you get when you buy a Mac, I suppose. 
Um, so <laughs> nice, nice dick, man. Just, just saying, man. You and your Mac. Every time I'm one of me and my me and my Apple computer. You and your Apple computer. You and Steve Jobs just <laughs> just wanking away, just while the rest of us are playing video games. Like, like. Right. That's <laughs> that's enough of this elitism. Shall we move on to today's topic of the week? One which I have an enormity of things to say. Yeah, this is a, a little switcheroony because usually if one of us hasn't uh, taken part in the topic of the week, it's Robin. But uh, this time, uh, I don't really know much about this topic of the week. I've watched the first episode uh, and Robin is the expert. So I'm looking forward to just sitting back and hearing to what Robin has to say about the Midnight Gospel. Midnight Gospel, which is a new anime eats, uh, well, a new cartoon by Pendleton Ward, creator of Adventure Time. And Duncan Trussell, someone who I didn't know much about, but creator of the Duncan Trussell Family Hour podcast mm-hmm. and has featured on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast as well. Um, he's an actor. He's done loads of stuff, um, as I was looking up. But yeah, check him out. Um, and this has very recently been released to to Netflix. Um, so it has that very sort of similar psychedelic adventure time visual style mm-hmm. um would you agree with that yeah i'd say it's like it's like adventure time it's the adventure time psychedelic uh aesthetic but like ramped up a bit more like like actual mm-hmm. psychedelic whereas adventure time was like a kid's show with like psychedelic ish visuals this is just like yeah let's just make a psychedelic art piece uh over a podcast recording which i think is a very interesting idea uh like the first episode i saw well i've only seen the first episode but i really i i did really enjoy the concept it was nice kind of listening to a conversation uh which was totally unrelated to the chaos that was happening (laughs) on screen i liked how they were just trying to have a matter of fact conversation in the midst of like a zombie apocalypse i thought was quite an entertaining uh subject and one that, uh, you know, I feel that we maybe thought of first. So, um, you know, <laughs> I'd like some money from uh, old Mr. Adventure Time Pendleton Ward, uh, if, if that's okay. <laughs> well, certainly, uh, I mean, we'll be collecting our checks in the mail. Uh, but we don't. there's not a very good postal service, so we're just going to assume he's been sending them to the wasteland. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, here's the thing. And I'm I'm gonna have to spoil a little bit of this for you, Patch. Oh, is there so like sorry. is there spoilers in this? Uh, maybe not spoilers. Maybe not spoilers. But here's the thing: I think that this whole podcast, uh, podcast, this whole um, show is a big old bait and switch because you do you go into that first episode and then you just see all these psychedelic visuals and you hear a completely unrelated narr- uh, a completely un- unrelated podcast. Um, and you're just like, okay, so this is what this is what we're going to expect for the rest of this. It's just going to be silly visuals with um, kind of detached animation style. It's going to be wacky, absurd, and silly. And we're going to have um, uh, an unrelated podcast audio that just gently message, uh, gently um, references the the goings on in the cartoon. Uh-huh. But as you as you go on through the episodes, it does start to weave a narrative, and it starts to weave a continuous narrative between the between the episodes and the world, and then it starts to weave the 
podcast audio into the world. So by the oh, end okay. of it, you've actually got a clear plot and it starts to discuss the nature of consciousness and spirituality and the acceptance of death. And it becomes like quite transcendent. And it's almost like if they were to try and lead with these high-endy topics, they were like, oh, we're just people are just going to switch off. So they started with this just sort of silly, detached and absurd um episode that gives you it makes you feel like okay this is what i'm in for it's going to be episodic he's going to spit out go to a world have have a podcast on the world go back the world's going to die and that's going to rinse and repeat but it doesn't do that and then by the end of it you're left thinking about all of these different questions about meditation the nature of reality the nature of thought um and it's uh, i mean there is a lot of this like hashtag whoa dude um you know and there are <laughs> going to be countless whoa, dude. yeah there's going to be countless amounts of people who are like yeah but have you watched it when you're smoking weed uh oh god uh, and it's yeah, just like yeah. well no actually listen to the content watch it for for the the stunning narrative that it is um rather than just sort of say this is some silly visuals for you to get high to which i mean to be honest if you're doing that no problem power to you but what I took from it, and what I'm, uh, I'm trying to say on this podcast is that, yeah, I think there was a lot more to it than that, than just a wacky lo-fi aesthetic. Uh-huh. Um, so that, that's, there you go. There's some there's some thoughts for you, Patch. How you how you digesting that? You have sold the show to be a bit more than the first episode did. Um, quite interested now. Um, I think I started watching the second episode, and I think it's because the topic they were talking about I wasn't quite as interested in. Um, so I was a bit like, yeah, whatever. I'll just I'll catch it when I catch it, I suppose. Um, it was, it didn't really have me hooked <coughs> straight away. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I, I like the idea that they're kind of uh, sort of easing people into the core concept of the show with kind of almost like, well, literally just like a pilot episode with the first one. And be like, well, this is kind of what the show is going to be, but over time, we're going to really explore uh, some 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 consistent themes. Uh, so yeah, that, that sounds interesting, man. I uh, I like I like the 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 idea. I'll probably go back to it. Um, I never really got into Pendleton Ward's uh, previous works. I was never the biggest Adventure Time fan. Uh, I appreciate it. I like what I saw, but I wasn't sort of like. You know, wasn't as big into it as you were uh, back in the day, um, but yeah, I, I I appreciate the work he does. You know, I think he's a creative fellow. Um, but I don't know. I thought Adventure Time was a bit overrated, but that's just my thought. So going into this, I was like, ah, I won't be as good as everyone's saying. But uh, no, I I think this show does sound a bit more interesting now that you've put, uh, kind of pitched it to me. You know. Because I didn't really have an initial pitch. I just thought, oh, cool visuals. This will be good to fall asleep to. But you've actually kind of, you know, explained to me what the show's about, which is which is good. I don't think the the Netflix preview really uh, kind of really sold it very well. It was just like, oh, look at this trippy show. Isn't this crazy? Which, annoyingly, a lot of Netflix animation seems to be pitched as just like this is the new the newest stoner comedy the next rick and morty look out guys for yeah. some wacky 2d humor do you like family guy 
then you'll love Paradise PD. And I'm like, I hate both of those things. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) It is... It does make me interested to was this a deliberate bait and switch to try and make that sort of standard audience and filter them into you know this is actually something with a bit more meat on its bones mm. um or was it just a misplay on the marketing being like, oh, we're too scared to actually say what this really is because we might put people off who are just like, oh, I just want lol random holds up spork in front of my face <laughs> yeah, the epic penguin of doom, yeah man, and I can't because like. Something, something I find very, I suppose. God, this is going to be like this is this is this is like worse than book, Robin's book club. This is like Robin's art club. Um, some something I've always found very difficult is people equate just um, just unexpected psychedelic visuals to um, absurdity and surrealism. Yeah, and some some of my like very <clears throat> early on, I really enjoyed stuff like the Codex Seraphinus and Salvador Dali's work and MC Escher's work and these absurd surrealist worlds that didn't really make sense but made sense in their own world. So for example, Codex Seraphinus, which which I would recommend anyone anyone reads. Yeah, I think uh, it's mentioned it, on the show before. It's like a manual to another universe, basically. And um, but everything sort of is consistent within this and it creates this surreal, absurd world. But there's effort in it. There's 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 love that's gone in there. There's artistry, and I think as time has gone on, and and, and I mean, if you look at uh, what Strange Planet, it's a fantastic planet, for example. It's another excellent example, and of of um, it's a it's a cartoon that was made, got seventies, um, yeah. which again creates a, a surreal and absurd alien landscape, but. What it's almost become is that surreal, absurd, psychedelic landscapes are just an allegory for, oh, lol, flashing pictures, stoner humor, and it's like, no, man, there's there's something more, and I think that I think that Midnight Gospel kind of drags it back, okay, um, to some extent, yeah, to some extent. Perhaps I'm reading more into this than I should be because I want it to be more than it is. Okay, that might be. I might have a bit of just uh, you know I got to check my own bias there. That might be part of it. But um, no, I, I I think it's got chops. Yeah, I think I think you might be onto something because it definitely looks like the kind of thing that would go down the route you want it to. I mean, if you want if you want your hype checked, you know, previously mentioned, I'm the guy. I'll give it a watch and I'll let you know <laughs> whether whether hype your personal check. bias is getting in the way of reason. But. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, um, not, I mean, for real though, I will give it a watch because it, it sounds more interesting than I initially thought. Um, but that's the thing, like, just like I said before, like, Netflix, Netflix's method of pitching animation has been really, like, not disappointing, but, like, I feel it's really let down the creators in the past because, like, Bojack Horseman, mm-hmm. which I haven't really watched past season two, I know it's kind of gone, gone on and on and on. I think it's maybe on season four now, um, but that was really good, and that was just pitched as like, "Whoa, what if wacky human had horse head?" And I was like, "Okay, whatever." But like, I really dealt with some really serious subjects, you know, like dealing with like fame and disappointment and addiction, and uh, you know, coming to terms, coming, you know, it was like a coming of age story, but for middle age, like it dealt with some really cool stuff, uh, mm-hmm. but it just was pitched 
like all the marketing for it just deals with like the wacky crazy jokes and it's like come on we can we can we can talk more about what these shows can do rather than just having the lol random side of it which every new netflix cartoon that isn't anime seems to seems to put out you know well yeah and it's almost like they're still at the stage where they can't say they're too too scared to say that a cartoon can deal with adult themes and it's like we're what really the most adult you can get is oh or you can get stoned to watch this i mean if you watch the trailer for midnight gospel i mean it completely does not sell what it is in yeah. any capacity um so i don't know maybe it's still just a bit of immaturity towards towards western style cartoons because it's almost like, oh yeah, if it's in Akira, yeah, it can be serious. But no, if you're dealing with depression in BoJack Horseman, it's still just wacky Family Guy. Yeah, it's like, what if depressed man take pills? It's like that's sad. <laughs> and the show that's knows it's sad. <laughs> we need to unpack that. That's pretty serious stuff. Yeah, and the show deals with it in a very mature way. But I was like, whoa, what if alcoholism? Am I right, guys? Like, yeah. <laughs> what if alcoholism though <laughs> which you know given the right context it can be you know made fun of you could make a joke about anything but that's a whole other that's a whole different bag of worms uh, to open up yeah uh, but yeah I think I, Netflix have a lot of work to do in like well, I don't know do they do they are, is that on them you know or is it up to I the... don't know look, look at their pitches man look yeah. at every episode pitch it is atrocious when you actually compare the episode pitch to the actual episode mm. yeah I've noticed a lot of their um, a lot of their blurbs for especially for their comedy stuff like every mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of stand up comedy on Netflix like I've, I think they really have a lot of good stand up on Netflix at the moment but a lot of their pitches is just sort of like he's he's gonna say it like no one else will no topic oh, is God. safe every single blurb for every single stand-up comedian is is no one is safe and it's like c- c- come on <laughs> <laughs> there's hundreds of stand-up comics like are you really going to tell us that they're going to deal with the topics that no one else will deal with <laughs> because it seems like everyone is dealing with that topic it's so weird it's, it's like schrodinger's comedian <laughs> no one is no one is dealing with this topic apart from everyone who's dealing with this topic <laughs> oh, i know it's so bizarre um their comedy pr needs a bit of a shot in the arm yeah um well i, I was actually far more succinct than i than i thought i was going to be about, about midnight gospel i kind of smashed it out there yeah that's fine um, we've had a big episode i'm happy to kind of have a little compact conversation it's been a it's been a big boy um and and shall we shall we shall we send her off um would you patch would you go outside for pendleton ward and duncan trussell's midnight gospel um i am more inclined to go outside for the midnight gospel now um that you've explained it to me better uh but previously coming into the episode i was like ah i can i could leave it out there whatever it's fine um and even you now saying like pendleton ward made me want to go outside for it a little less just because of oh wow just because i don't know there's something something about me that whenever something i'm not a fan of gets popular i'm inclined to just be like ugh, this guy again (laughs) so when you said pendleton ward's midnight gospel (laughs) i was like ah for fuck's sake this guy but midnight gospel 
on its own, yeah, sure, I'll go outside for it. There's something deep within me that just if if like I think when I didn't watch Adventure Time because I just was annoyed by how how much people enjoyed it, and I just thought oh, this is probably just going to be crap. I don't know. It's it's that. It's that initial. It's like that aversion to Game of Thrones that people had was because it was popular. They were like, "Ah, oh, fuck Game of Thrones." It's like, yeah, you're not even watched it though. But that was for me. But for, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Sorry, I'm. No, th- I mean, you you you're explaining a concept that you it, it's it, it is widely it's widely understood but poorly talked about, and I do understand it. The whole response of. This thing is more is getting popular, and I didn't like it in the first place, and now it's really popular. Now I like it less. Yeah, and it's it's closely mirrored to the. It's closely linked to the. I like this thing before it's popular, and now it's popular. I don't like it. Um, I think it's some kind of like inverse popularity bias. I'm not articulate enough to describe it, but I think everyone from hearing this conversation will inherently know this feeling or know someone who's had this feeling um yeah, so it's understandable it's human lots of people have it it's cool we can talk about it on the podcast it's a human feeling to have i suppose i just because i brought game up game of thrones up there and there's this has been something i've been meaning to say on the podcast for ages now but i want to give a shout out to the people who are who 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 did not like game of thrones and who were overjoyed to hear when everyone was annoyed that it ended badly. I just want to say a shout out to those guys and say, man, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Just because you don't that, like man. something and it ended badly, don't then take pleasure in other people's pain. Because that's just that's just a bad time, dude. I mean, taking pleasure, not like Schadenfreude. Yeah, Schadenfreude exists. Nice, nice, nice little German flex there. Um... It's it's a shit it's a shit emotion. Stop having that. Because <laughs> uh, it was like because I spoke to people who like when Game of Thrones finished and I was really pissed off at how badly it ended. I was, had I've got friends who just didn't like it to begin with and they were like, "Oh, see, I told you it was shit." And I was like, "Man, fuck off! Just fuck off! <laughs> just get out of my life! Just let me grieve in peace. <laughs> let me grieve." <laughs> Please look at what they've done. Look at how they've massacred my boy. <laughs> We've really got off topic from the will you go outside. So I'm just going to bring her back here with yes, Patch. I would go outside for Midnight Gospel, and I, I think I think it's worth most people going outside and pushing past the first episode. And and you know maybe the bait and switch just. See it out. Write it out. I mean, if you look, it's like two hours all in all, if you look at all of it. So give two hours. Give a feature film's worth time of time to, to Midnight Gospel. Hmm. Yeah, that's, no, that's, a good, that's a good way of wrapping up. I would agree. Um, yeah, I'm going to check it out now. So why don't you, <laughs> listeners? <laughs> uh, so as always, guys, don't go outside. Netflix might write a really bad pitch about you and everyone will get the wrong impression. (laughs) Yeah, don't go outside, guys, because Netflix are going to market you wrong. Don't Go Outside is your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse, brought to you by Patch and Robin. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Don't Go Outside, why don't give us a follow on Spotify or subscribe to us on iTunes and you'll be updated whenever a new episode is released. You can also find episode updates and other fun news on our Instagram feed at dgo underscore podcast.